Well, good morning to you. Let's pray together. Father, we can never pray enough because, Father, we need you so much. And, Lord, we pray that this morning you would especially meet with all of us. Father, that you would comfort those who need comfort, those who need help. May you help them. Father, may you energize those who need to be revived. And, Father, may you renew in us a new spirit, a new heart. We thank you, Father, that this time is reserved for you to speak to us. And so, Father, may our ears be open. May our hearts be attuned to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, peace is one of the greatest themes in the Bible. Did you ever realize that? You know, if you read the Bible, it has a lot to say about peace. We see it in the very beginning in the book of Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth. Everything was at peace. Everything was in harmony. Everything was supposed to be the way it was. If you speed back to the book, the end of the Bible, back in the book of uh, Revelations, you'll see that God is at peace again. God's theme of peace is there again when God and all the redeemed will live eternally in peace. So from the very beginning to the very end, the theme is peace. And that's a wonderful theme. But what about our times today? We're living between the beginning and the end. Because of sin, peace is elusive and it's in short supply. Would you agree with that? Amen. That's right. It is in short supply. Controversy, conflict, and even combat are all around us. Even between individuals and groups, between cultures and communities, between countries and continents. Even between generations, there is this controversy. There is this conflict that is going on. So what should be the heart of God's people through all of this? What should we, how should we respond? What does God call his people to be and to do? Well, that's the question that is answered for us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, where it says, Blessed are the, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, taken by itself, it would be very hard to understand what on earth is Christ talking about. So we have to kind of set the stage, and some may be visiting with us the first time, or maybe have taken a leave and have come back. And so what happens is that this is all part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus describes the heart of the true child of God. And on this sermon, what he says is that the true child of God is not a robot programmed to perform prescribed rules and regulations. You see, that's where the Pharisees went astray. Because the Pharisees put all the emphasis on following the rules and regulations. And so as a result... The people's hearts were empty. The people's hearts were corrupt. The people eventually said, why am I doing this? (laughs) You know, what's the big deal? Why are these rules and regulations so important? You see, they had forgotten the great rule giver who was God. And so they had just gone ahead and robotically obeyed the rules. So Jesus brings them back. And he says to them that God's people are to be people of distinct character, specifically God's character. These people, uh, God's people, uh, should be those who are known for being dependent on God, 
who mourn over sin, have convictions yet under control, hunger after God's righteousness, are merciful and are pure in heart. And so we've been talking about all of these things. When you hear Christ preach, there is no clever use of words, but straight, honest declarations of what it is to be a true disciple of Christ. There's always this talk, what is a disciple of Christ? And you hear people write volumes and volumes and volumes of this. Jesus Christ reveals to us the heart of the true disciple of Christ on the Sermon on the Mount. And so we see this uh, happening as Christ uh, preaches. He doesn't try to lure us into God's family by softening or cleverly concealing the expectations of God. He just puts it right out there in front. He says, this is what it is to be a member of the family of God. Now, this has implications for all of us. Why? Because by now, some of you have been with us for quite a few weeks, and you've heard the series. But now some of you uh, perhaps have reacted different ways. Some have been truly impacted by the word of God. And you said, you know, that is an area I really need to develop in my life and in my heart. But others, perhaps, are growing a bit weary of having their character measured against God's standard. And so what happens, they say, oh, man, this thing, the standard of God is so high, I can't possibly reach it, so why even try? And so we're tempted to give up. We're tempted. It's it's like the familiar words that come to our mind. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that seems to be rattling around in our heart and mind. So here we go, another beatitude. Oh my, standard's so high, can't reach it. Oh my, just give up, just go away. You know, just stop coming, stop here listening. Please don't do that. Because God continually reaches out to us. He constantly lays before us his standard with the full expectation that he will be there to help us to achieve it as we grow and as we go. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the context in which that was, was Paul was winding down his letter to the Philippians, and he saw the standard that was laid out through the Holy Spirit. What did he say? He says, I forget what lies behind, and I press on. I press on to the high calling of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through, uh, through him who strengthens me. So the intent of the Sermon on the Mount is in no way to cause each of us to lower our shoulders and crawl out of here. It isn't the intent at all. But rather the intent is to say, my, what a God, a God who dares to lay out this standard of righteousness and he wants us to pursue it and he will help us to attain it. And this is the spirit in which this is giving. In a refreshing way, Christ tells it like it is. He tells it like it ought to be and challenges all of us to sign up. That's what he does. That's what he does. And if there was ever a need of the hour, it's for God's church is to stand up and take on the challenge that Jesus Christ has laid out for each and every one of us. No more excuses, no more explanations. Just go and be the person that God wants us to be. So what kind of person is that? 
Well, here in verse 9, he adds another beatitude, and this beatitude is the one to be a peacemaker. But the question comes, how does one become a peacemaker? Where do these peacemakers come from? You know? Well, the context would tell us it comes from those people whose hearts have been transformed. People whose hearts that live and breathe dependence on God, mourning over sin, holding convictions, pursuing God's righteousness, being merciful, and being pure in heart. You see, as you watch all of these things begin to unfold from verse 3, you begin to see, wow, then this peacemaker thing, that's where they come from. It's people who are developing all of these beatitudes. It's the, the beatitude, as the Beatitudes become our attitude, our motivations, our thoughts, and our feelings are literally transformed, and our behavior radically changed. You see, some people expect the change without the change of heart. But there has to be the change of heart first, and then comes the uh, actions, becomes the behavior. In verse 9, Jesus adds this, Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, we need to understand that the impact of the gospel does not begin or end with good behavior. It goes deeper and results in a literal change of heart and soul of the person. Accepting Christ as Savior involves more than just an adoption of a Christian lifestyle, such as living by the Ten Commandments or living by the good book. But the transformation of one's thinking and personality happens and when as we are transformed into the image of God's son so many people are disillusioned with the faith they're disillusioned with Christianity and any other anity <laughs> you know why because there's no real heart change and so you want to what we want to do is go back and look at our hearts and do what pleases God out of a heart of love and respect and appreciation for him. You see, that's where it all begins, my friend, is this transformation of heart. And so peacemakers come from those who are passionately serious about being all that God wants them to be. People whose hearts have been literally transformed spiritually by the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, That leads us to a second question. What kind of peacemaker does God have in mind? You see, there's a lot of talk in the news nowadays, isn't there, about peace and peacemakers. And and I'm sure you've you've heard the same TV uh, uh, newscast that I've heard. I'm sure you've read the same articles in the newspaper and magazines that I have. I'm sure you have heard all of the seminars and all of the panels and all of the things that are going on. You've heard all of the, the, the... Sound bites from politicians and people who are in powerful positions. All of this talk about the need for peace, the need for peacemakers. And sometimes people just stand up and scream and say, I just wish somebody (laughs) would stand up and make things right and bring peace to this thing. We're craving for a peacemaker. Well, what kind of peacemaker does God have in mind? And so it behooves us, it benefits us to compare the peacemaker in the eyes of the world and a peacemaker in the eyes of God. Okay, now follow me for just a second. For example, the world's idea of a peacemaker involves this thing. It's more of an idea of a peacekeeper. It's more of an idea of a peacekeeper, all right? 
And so the, what happens, the world is looking for someone who works for a situation where physical conflict or strife ceases, okay? And so everybody will talk, 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 talk. Everybody will stop shooting, 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 you know, and all of this kind of stuff so that we call this peace. And so the peacekeeper has done his job if he can keep people from shooting at each other and this kind of stuff, all right? That's the world. The peacemaker works for, this, for a situation where physical conflict or strife ceases. A peacekeeper, in the eyes of the world, negotiates and arbitrates, trying to make the best deal possible. Okay? He says, what do you want? What do you want? You know? He says, can we agree on giving each other some things? And then, you know, in the end, everybody stops shooting. Everybody stops yelling at each other. Okay? That's the job of the peacekeeper. All right? But you know and I know that in the world that we live in, it sometimes comes at a very high price, doesn't it? For example, it might mean sacrificing righteousness and justice for peace. There, for example, there may be prisoner exchanges. Sometimes it means the guilty will go unpunished. All of these kinds of things happen, right? In order to what? Achieve peace. You know, keep the peace. You know, that's the world's view. That's the world's view. So a peacekeeper in the eyes of the world tries to negotiate the best possible deal so that conflicts and strife ceases. Ah, but isn't it important to us what a peacemaker is in the eyes of God? Of course it is, because he just said, blessed are the peacemakers. So what is it that God is expecting? Now hold on to your seats, because here it comes. God's idea of a peacemaker. A peacemaker is one who loves his enemies. Oh, my. Oh, my. You mean the, the true peacemaker is a guy who looks across the table and he actually says, I love you. No matter what you've done. He says, I truly love you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. It says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So one of the qualifications of being a godly peacemaker is one who truly loves the opposition. You see? What else is a qualification for a godly peacemaker? A, peace, a godly peacemaker wants to be at peace among uh, all the people that are around him. Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. He's not going out there to pick a fight or a bone with anybody, all right? He truly loves the people across the table from him. He truly wants to be at peace. That is his goal. It's not he's sitting there and he says, what's in it for me? He truly wants to be at peace with all people. A peacemaker, number three, knows that he lives in a troubled world. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world... In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world, he says. He knows this. Now, at first, when I started, you know, this is a conglomeration of people's writings on what a peacemaker is. And so as I saw that, I said, now, why is it so important that this particular, that a peacemaker actually understand there's tribulation in the world? Well, it's because he knows that it will never be totally free of struggles and strife, conflict and contention. 
A godly peacemaker in God's eyes is not some radical idealist seeking utopia on earth. No, he's a realist. While he acknowledged the major shortcomings of humanity, he strives to experience peace in a world that has no peace. See, he's not just some hippie or love child in my generation. I grew up in the 60s, and so there was those people. They were just calling for just this radical change, and it wasn't even close to reality. Uh Uh-uh. The peacemaker, the true peacemaker has a a realistic view of the world. A peacemaker in God's eyes enjoys a measure of personal peace himself. Like what? Peace what? He has peace with God. There's a correction that needs to be in your bulletin outline. It's Romans 5.1, not 5.10. And it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We enjoy peace with God, the peacemaker. And he enjoys the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, you can't give away what you don't have. But the peacemaker that God is talking about is one who has peace with God and peace of God in his heart. And that's why he can go into these situations. That's why it's very clear in his mind what he's hoping to achieve. Not just the cessation of conflict, but he is truly, honestly trying to seek long-lasting and sustaining peace. That's what he is trying to do. That's why he's called a peacemaker. A biblical peacemaker stands on the side of of the faith and righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, be on the alert, stand firm for the faith, act like a man, be strong. Why is this important? Because the peacemaker in God's eyes, he stands firm for what is right. He will not sacrifice holiness or sanctification to achieve peace. He understands that sin always destroys and disturb, disturbs and disrupts. And holiness produces, uh, uh, promotes peace. You see, all of these things are going on in the heart and the mind of the true peacemaker from God. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that about ourselves? Another characteristic, number five, a peacemaker works to lead others to make peace with God. We just read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. What? And if you read the rest of that passage, it says that we beg, we, in, we, 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 we plead with people, we beg people to come and to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior too. Because that's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. The peacemaker works to lead others to, to make peace with God. How? He speaks the truth in love in Ephesians chapter 4. But he also confronts without being confrontatious. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24 to 26. This has shaped much of my own life and my own ministry. It's how I relate to people. And sometimes it disturbs people. And some people are uncomfortable with it. And yet I have found that in the long run, in the, 
and the wide bandwidth of people that I deal with that I get further ahead with this way than going up there and standing on their heads or, st- or beating on their chests. And it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive to do, by him to do his will. You see, sometimes as believers, we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision how we will be ambassadors for Christ, how we will work to have people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And some have chosen the hard road and the heavy road, and others have chosen a much more middle road. But the word of God seems to be made clear here that we contend without being contentious, you see, and allow room for God to work. A peacemaker in God's eyes loves, wants, knows, stands and works for peace while standing on the side of righteousness and helping others to make peace with God. How are you doing? How are you doing? Can you be a peacemaker for God? Let me say right off the very beginning, many of you in this very sanctuary have the makings of being the best possible peacemakers around. If you would just... Surrender yourself and let God use you in that way. What is the reward for being a peacemaker? Peacemakers will be called the sons of God. Now, at first you say to yourself, titles? I got titles. Sons of God? Well, that's pretty impressive, okay? But listen to this very carefully. True, you can be a peacemaker without being a son of God. Did you agree? There are people who have that, that gift, all right? But you cannot be a true son of God and not be a peacemaker. Whoa. Whoa. You see the difference? You see the difference? For one, it's optional. For the other, no, it's not optional. We have to be peacemakers. One's character should to identify uh, you as a child of God. A peacemaker's character trait, along with all the other beatitudes, identifies a person as a true son of God. So as we analyze this for just a moment, just take a break, take a breath, (laughs) okay? Take a breath. As we analyze all this, what about you? How can you and I develop this character trait in us? How can we live it out? How can we live it out? First of all, realize the great need today for peacemakers in every arena of human life. Some of us truly strive to live lives that make some kind of difference to someone other than just ourselves. (laughs) You see, some people, hey, I'm only striving for whatever is good for me. Numero uno, you know, number one, okay? But there are truly others of you who say, yes, I, don't live for, I can't live for myself. I shouldn't live for myself. But I truly want to make a difference. When I wake up in the morning, I want to make sure that it makes a difference that I woke up. <laughs> That's another way of saying it, you see. That it makes a difference to somebody. 
It makes a positive difference that I got up this morning and there's something I can do because I got up. You see? And so you can. Today, we can apply this principle of being a peacemaker. We can apply it in the world. We can apply it in, country, in, 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 uh, in countries. We can apply it in city situations. We can apply it in community situations. We can apply it at home, at work, at school, and churches even. Just for a moment. I've been in a lot of churches. I've been a part of a number of churches. And I'll be quite frank with you and make a confession that none of these churches were perfect. Okay? We have some, we have some challenges and we have some ways to go. But what happens is that there's this great need for peacemakers. You see? There's this great need for peacemakers. Ones who will go around and try to bring people together instead of driving them apart. Somebody who will take action in their homes and, 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 and bring marriages back together and things like this. Just open our eyes and see this. Well, I don't want to get involved. I don't, I don't want to get involved. You can't get involved in everything, but you can get involved in those that God leads you to. And you can bring that presence of God into that room, into that home, into that workplace. And you can bring some sanity back into life for somebody. So we realize the great need today and the great opportunities today. Number two, realize the great need to start with, perhaps by getting your own life in order. Now, what does this involve? What does this involve? You know, some people are great pastors, but they're not great parents. Some people are great politicians, but they can't communicate with their own, with their loved ones and things like that. We're one thing here and we're that another. And sometimes we as believers, we're one thing at church and we're one thing everywhere else. But there's that need for us to bring peace in our own lives, such as how? Well, this may mean we have to reconcile with others. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24. We can't, don't have time to read them all, but we need to be reconciled with one another. It's not unusual that in places I go and people I uh, interact with, that a lot of angst and a lot of, of anger and a lot of energy is f- trying to fight off the things that they have not been reconciled with other people. It's time to reconcile with others. Romans chapter 12, we read that earlier. This may mean we have to do all we can to be at peace with others. And this can't be a half-hearted effort. It can't be superficial. It has to be a genuine effort to be at peace. This may mean we have to admit our own shortcomings. James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed, it says. Now, all of these, you say to yourself, oh, oh, pastor, another one of those messages. <laughs> Don't you have something else to say to us? No, I mean, this is what God's saying to us, all right? Say, be a peacemaker. To be a peacemaker, you have to be at peace yourself. Don't you think? That makes good, perfectly good sense. 
And you need to be reconciled with others. You need to be at peace with others. You need to admit your own shortcomings. This may mean that we will have to forgive with or without the cooperation of the other party. Colossians chapter 3. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It says. This may mean that we have to take a loss. Maybe even possibly loss of face. Loss of face. You know, one person came to me one time and says, Pastor, you, you don't seem to be so disturbed about losing face. Don't you know you're in Asia? <laughs> and I said, of course I know I was in Asia. It's like this in America too, you know. And he says, he says well, why aren't you worried about losing face? And I says, I lost my face so many times, it's gone. It's finished. I don't have any face to lose, you know. That's the short answer, okay? But sometimes, you know, we are so concerned about holding on to our face that we lose so much more. You see? This is what is, happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you remember this, the, the believers at Corinth were taking each other to court. And what did Paul say? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you, meaning that you went to court. You blasted all of this publicly, but that you have, you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Why not lose the case? You see? Now, here we say to ourselves, man, man, God... God's really asking a lot. Yes, he does. But in return, we will get a lot. In return, we will get a lot. Lastly, this may mean we have to trust God for the results. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, our Lord was a prime example. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. So the quick and the short of it is, my friend, my sister, my brother in Christ, my fellow pilgrim. Together, we need to make sure that we are at peace. And then we can take advantage of the opportunities for making peace among many others. Happy, blessed are the peacemakers. And godly peacemaker loves, knows, wants, works for, and stands courageously for righteousness. God wants you to be a peacemaker. With the Holy Spirit's guidance and power, you can be. There's really only a few important questions today that need to be running through our hearts as we leave here today. One of those is, who am I? Who am I today? Who am I today? Am I a peacemaker or am I a peace killer? (laughs) Which one are you? The next question, who does God want me to be with his grace, mercies, help, and strength? 
wants us to be a peacemaker. Now, there's one more big question. Are you ready for this? The question is, as you leave here, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Let's pray. Father, your word is very clear. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. May as many of us who are here today reclaim the title sons of God. May we be peacemakers in every sense of the word. In our homes, in our work, in our schools, and in our church. 